Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv. And we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to New Hope Church. Everybody at the 288 campus, the Friendswood campus, the Alvin campus, Webster campus, and everybody that's joining us online from all over. Uh, a real quick uh, weather note just for everybody in the greater Houston area. I know we have people watching from online from all over the United States, maybe the world. This doesn't apply to you if you're used to cold temperatures. Here in Southeast Texas, we don't do cold. We don't do cold. And so if you are... If you are uh, like a native of Southeast Texas and uh, you don't know how to drive on ice or snow, um, here's how you do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. That's how you do it. Somebody say amen to that. Stay home. Stay home. Just stay home. Play some Uno. Um, so today's Valentine's Day, and, or as I once heard it said by a single, uh, single awareness day. And that was kind of a bittersweet comment, I know. Uh, and for those of you who are single, who aren't in a relationship with a significant other, and that kind of is a, a burden that you feel like uh, is on your life right now, let, let me remind you of something on this Valentine's morning. God loves you. God loves you. You're never alone. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And not only that, but your church family thinks you're pretty awesome too, and we love you. Amen, church family? So... So Valentine's Day, seven weeks out from Easter as well, seven weekends from Easter, um, perfect time for us to do what we're going to do today, and that is to begin a series of lessons. I think, you know, it's the culmination of the greatest love story ever told. This entire book is a love story. But the part of the love story that we're going to get into today today, is when um, Jesus really felt it. We're going to be talking about when he was on the cross and the last seven statements that he made from the cross. And we're calling this series Finding Hope in the Last Words of Jesus. And very simply put, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the seven statements Jesus made while on the cross. And if you do have your Bible today, or you're going to open up your uh, listening guide, or you've got a Bible app, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. <clears throat> I don't know everything, uh, not even close, but I do know one thing. And one thing is this. When you look at these seven statements, you find hope. You find hope. I mean, Jesus is literally dying on the cross. He's bleeding out as he speaks these words. And yet he was very intentional about what he said from the cross. And in these seven statements, we learn about his divinity. We learn about his humanity. We, we learn about, his, his, uh, he, be, about him being very particular in what he says and the fulfillment of prophecy. We learn about sin. We learn about redemption. And whether you know all of these statements or you know none of these statements, we are going to grow in our faith as we study these, these words of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to find hope in these words. And, and uh, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come back for the whole series because you're going to fall in love with the God who is desperately in love with you. And you're going to see that in Jesus' death on the cross. So uh, we need to get this right. And, and a lot of times nowadays people don't get the cross right. But we got to get the cross right. And here's why I say that. 
You can't get the cross wrong and get your life right. You can't get the cross wrong and get your life right. And I want us, as a church family, to get the cross right. And I want us to get it right in our individual lives because the cross is at the very center of the message of salvation, but people often miss the entire point of the cross. Now, that's not a new problem. People have gotten the cross wrong forever and ever, amen, ever since the cross happened. But in today's world, I'm seeing two very distinct wrong paths that people are taking and they are missing the true meaning of the cross, which is very dangerous. First wrong path that many people are taking nowadays is the prosperity gospel path. They believe in this teaching, they believe that Jesus, what he did on the cross, he did so that they could have it all right now. Jesus died on the cross, he got a bigger house, nicer car, uh, more stuff, promotion at work, more money in the bank, no sick days, no struggle, only health and wealth if you believe it and speak it. Yet the Bible, if, and if you don't cherry pick phrases of verses out of the Bible, if you like read the Bible, you're going to see a kind of a different story in the Bible. Uh, Jesus said this, for instance, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That means put away what you want, pick up your cross and follow after me. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Not if you face trials, but when you face trials of many kinds. And, and you just keep looking at history, you see 11 of the 12 disciples uh, that Jesus had were killed. They were martyred for their faith in Christ. And the, and the remaining disciple was put on an island, exiled on that island. You look around the world right now and you got good people, like great Christians around the world who are suffering today. There's more persecution. I don't know if you know this. More persecution now than there ever has been in the world against Christians. And Christians are suffering today. And you go to places where there's abject poverty, and in the middle of that poverty, in those slums, you're going to find Christians, Christians, probably better Christians than a lot of us in the church today, and yet they are living out their faith in those very difficult circumstances. And you see good people, good people get sick, and good people die. And uh, <clears throat> I've preached four different times in third world countries, and it's a great exercise. I'm going to tell you what, it's a great exercise, and I think every pastor probably needs to do it at least once in their lifetime, because what happened to me is I was preparing sermons to preach to people who lived in the slums, people who lived in cardboard houses with dirt floors. The thing that happened to me was, as I'm writing, everything that American pastors like to include in the presentation of how good God is. A lot of those things were stripped away till you could get down to the base level of what God actually promised us. In fact, as I was writing those sermons, I was inspired by this line. If the gospel you preach can't be preached in a third world country, then it's not the gospel at all. If the gospel that you preach... <clears throat> Can't be preached in a third world country. It's not the gospel at all. Now, I believe, and you've heard me say this, that when we do the right thing, there's blessing. God will bless the person who does the right thing and who follows after him. God loves to bless his children. But that's not the central theme of the cross. And if someone receives 
the cross on that premise, the gospel of the cross on that premise that says Jesus did all that he did on the cross so that your dreams will come true in this life and so you'll reach your full potential and never struggle again, then that person who received it that way is headed for a brick wall of of disillusion that we call reality. And tragically, what might happen to that kind of a person who received the gospel that way is that they will miss out on the greatest blessing of all, and that is salvation. More about that in a few moments, but another dead-end path that I see people taking nowadays is this one, the progressive Christianity gospel. Progressive Christianity gospel. And it sounds new because it has the word progressive, but it's really an old issue and a new wrapper. And it seems to be sneaking in the back door of many churches today, churches that want to be hip, popular, culturally relevant. And here's how it sneaks in. Um, It's not politically correct to call sin, sin nowadays. Did you know that? And so if sin isn't sin, then people can do whatever they want and it's okay. And if people can do whatever they want and it's okay, then Jesus didn't really need to die on the cross to save us because we're not bad. And, And maybe he died, as one progressive Christian author said, to speak truth to power whatever. Maybe he died just as an example for us, but he, they say he didn't really need, God didn't really require a sacrifice, so Jesus didn't really need to die on the cross for our sin because you aren't really that sinful. And since churches have gotten rid of sin, the next thing to go is hell. We don't need hell anymore because now everybody gets a trophy and everybody's going to heaven and Now let's all get together and go out into our community and do good works. After all, that's what the Christian life is, is just doing good works. And it feels so Christian when you see folks and they're talking about the Bible and they're doing good works, but the doctrine that led them to the good works isn't in the Bible. Now I've oversimplified it, but that's a gift of mine, oversimplifying things. Here's a book if you want to drill down deeper on this subject. Uh, Elisa Childers wrote this book recently, Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. <clears throat> so if you want to go deep on this subject, get the book. I bought it a couple weeks ago. I devoured it in the space of a few days, and it helped me. I'm a better person because of it. But if you want to shore up your faith on this subject, check it out. But let's all be careful. Okay, As we begin this series, let's be careful. If you sense yourself drifting toward a materialistic, earthly gain kind of a gospel or toward a version of the gospel that removes sin and therefore the need for a Savior, let's be careful and let's get back to reality, get back to the truth because only the true gospel can save. Paul said this in 2 Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, which uh, in season and out of season means when it's popular and when it's not popular. Preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Never before in the history of the world has this been easier to do to gather around us and just listen to podcasts and on the internet and sermons of preachers, teachers who are saying what people want to hear. And that's what's happening more and more. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And it's literally happening in churches everywhere today. But not this church. Not this church. Hey, I'm glad you're here in church today. I'm glad you're here. But I'm even more excited as a church family that we are here. And we're going to take this journey together. I hope you go on the whole journey with us all seven weeks and come back for Easter. Bonus round. Easter. I'm not going to tell you what happens on Easter. But uh, uh, go with us on this journey, and we are going to grow in our faith, and we're going to learn from the Lord exactly what the cross means because Jesus tells us in seven statements, okay? So we're going to begin. I said we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to begin in verse 26. But before I even put it on the screen, let me tell you where we are. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's not on the cross yet. He's walking toward Calvary, Golgotha, uh, the, the place called the Skull, where he's going to be crucified. He has just fallen under the weight of the cross. And so verse 26 happens after that, okay, so you, you got this picture in your mind. He's carrying his cross. He's now fallen down. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 23. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, uh, in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus on his way to Calvary. The mock trial's over. Uh, the cross is on his back. He's exhausted. He falls under the weight of the load of the cross. So the soldiers grab a guy out of the crowd to help Jesus. His name is Simon, who just happened to be coming in from uh, the country into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Simon is from Africa. He's from Africa, which is why he's often pictured in paintings and sculptures as, uh, as a black man. Uh, you can Google it for yourself and you can see, but here's one example. This is from Huntsville, Alabama at Oakwood College. <clears throat> Beautifully done, by the way. But uh, I actually, I was going to preach on Simon uh, last year, and, and I went down too many rabbit trails, okay? But if you want to go down rabbit trails, go for it. I, li I like doing it. I like chasing things in Scripture and, and uh, figuring out as much as I can. But I was listening to a sermon where a pastor was talking about Simon, and he said, Simon was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when he said it, it, I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel that way. I thought, actually the opposite. I was, I was thinking, what an honor to help Jesus on his worst day to carry the cross. And I know the caliber of men in our church. And I know there's not a man in our church that would not jump at the opportunity to help Jesus on that day if he could have. Amen? So another Bible text says Simon had two sons. One of the sons is named Rufus. Funny name, but uh, you follow that name through Scripture. And later on, we're talking decades later, um, Paul writes the, uh, the, the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. And in the book, he gives a shout-out to Rufus and also to his mother, who was like a mother to him as well, to the Apostle Paul. So you got maybe, maybe, I don't know. This is a rabbit trail. But uh, you, you got Simon, Rufus, mom, or, or his wife, mom of, of Rufus, the Apostle Paul, close to the family, leaders in the church now, 
I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking, we don't know if it's the same family or not, but a lot of interesting possibilities surrounding the guy named Simon who helped Jesus carry the cross. And that's how my mind works, okay? Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called what? The skull. Say it one more time. The skull. Now, I need you to remember this, okay, if we're in a few minutes. So what is it? Okay, very good. They crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So just so you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of these things as we go through this series. The Romans used crucifixion, obviously, as a way to execute people, but they also used it as a way to warn people. Don't, don't mess with Rome. Don't mess with Rome. And so because it was a warning to other people, they would, they would crucify people in very public places. And so it would be along, for instance, a very busy road or an intersection or something, and the bodies would be hung there for maximum impact, and it was a major deterrent for folks and to mess with Rome. And so today in Jerusalem, there are two different possibilities, they say, where, Jesus, where people believe that Jesus was crucified. One of those places is here at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It doesn't feel like this is the place, but I don't, we don't go by feelings at this church, right? But when you get there, it just doesn't feel like because there's a building there. Well, they built a building over the spot where people thought that he may have been crucified. And you go in this door, turn to the right, there's a staircase, leads up. There's a mound underneath the staircase, and then they've built something around the mound so nobody can get to it. There's a hole at the top. You look down with the light, and you can see maybe the top of the hill where Jesus was crucified. I don't know. I don't know about that. It's a, <clears throat> it's a wild place. I say it's a wild place because it's, it's run by five or six different Christian denominations who can't agree on anything. And so it kind of has that feel when you go in. Everybody's kind of elbowing and all that. And I've shown you this before and way in the past. See the ladder right here by this window? That ladder's been there since the 1720s. Since the 1720s. In 1757, the denominations that controlled the church voted that nobody could change anything unless everybody agreed. The latter has been there since 1720 now, 1757 after they agree. Nobody's touched it since then because they can't all agree to move it. There's the church working together in all of its glory right there. But anyway, all that to say, this is one of the spots. And people make pretty good arguments about how this may be the spot. The other possible spot where Jesus was executed and crucified was near this. This is the garden tomb in Jerusalem. It is my favorite place in Jerusalem. I can spend all day here sitting and watching people go into the tomb and then come out with smiles and tears of joy because this might be the spot where Jesus rose from the dead, but we're not talking about that. That's on Easter. Sorry to give it away. (laughs) But this tomb is a stone's throw away from where many people believe that Jesus was crucified. I actually lean toward this right here being the place, and here's one of several reasons. According to verse 33, the place, this is a quiz, this is a quiz, you ready? According to verse 33, the place where Jesus was crucified is called the skull. Very good, you're good class. Uh, 
sold his skull. Remember that again. Later in John chapter 19, we learned that the place where Jesus was crucified was next to the place where he was buried. They were basically side by side. This is John chapter 19. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So he's buried right next to the place where he was crucified. The place he was crucified was called the skull, okay? So here's the tomb picture again. If you go up these stairs right here, back this way a little bit, and then another little set of stairs, you look to the other side of this hill. It used to be a quarry where they would get rocks from, and I'm going to show you the picture, okay? First, I'm going to show you an old picture from like the 1940s, and then I'll show you a newer version of it. This is why many people think this is a place called the skull. Right over here is where the garden tomb is, that last picture I just showed you. This is back in the 1940s. This road leads to Damascus. So major road, tomb, garden, skull. Here it is today, the same, the same skull that's been knocked down and, and so forth, and they brought the ground up right here and leveled it out. There's a Muslim cemetery on top. This is a bus station that serves the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem. So this is about as close as you can get right here behind this fence. But uh, every time we go, and I've been here several times, and we stand right here and we look at the place called the skull that many people believe this is, I got mixed emotions. Because I'm thinking, this could be where Jesus was crucified, and there's a bus station. And it feels like such a waste. It feels like such a waste. But actually, it kind of makes sense. Because where Jesus was crucified was very public, and people were coming and going, and that has not changed. I'm sure Jesus didn't want to be hidden away in a museum exhibit. He did what he did for the world to see because the world needed a Savior. Okay, that's verse 33. Verse 34 He's now on the cross in verse 34, and he speaks the first of seven statements. Here it is. Verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's it. That's the first of the seven statements. Let me give you some observations about this statement as we dig in a little bit now. The first words from Jesus on the cross show us we have someone praying for us. We got somebody praying for us have always been absolutely blown away and amazed. There's Jesus on the cross in agony. He's been tortured all night. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's lost a lot of blood. He's exhausted. Now he literally has hand, uh, nails through his hands and through his feet. And the very first words that he speaks after they put him upright on that cross, and now he's feeling the full weight of the nails pulling against his pierced flesh. The very first thing on his mind, the very first thing he says is a prayer for the people who put him there. You know, sometimes, just forgive me, okay, but sometimes I think I'm like Jesus. <laughs> like I have a good day, and I'm like, you're, you're having a good one. This is a good one. This is a good day today. It's been going well. You're doing, but I'm not like Jesus, man. I'm not like, I'm not like that. 
And I know that because of the insignificant things. I've never been crucified, obviously, but just like insignificant things in my life, like I'm waiting on a parking place and I got my blinker on and they back out and they back out kind of blocking me and somebody else pulls in. The first thing on my mind (laughs) is not a prayer. Anybody else want to confess that today? (laughs) Maybe a prayer like, Lord, bring down fire, fire, fire. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm not... I want to feel like I'm like Jesus. Sometimes I'm not like Jesus. Far from it. Here's Jesus crucified, praying for the people who put him there. But this is nothing new for Jesus. This is Jesus being Jesus. When he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So now he's on the cross. Now he's on the cross, and he's living out the truth that he himself taught others. As I said, this is Jesus being Jesus, praying for those who have hurt him, praying for sinners. I got news for you. He's still praying for us at this moment. Did you know that? Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans 8, 34 says that he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Right now, Sunday morning, Valentine's 2021, Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that good news? we got somebody praying for us. Yes, he's our example. Yes, he is. But, and this is important, he's so much more than an example. He didn't come to this world to die on the cross just to be an example. Because what you and I need ultimately is not an example. What we need is the salvation of our soul. That's what we need. And we need it because, if you're taking notes, number two, we all have the same problem, sin. We all got the same problem. It's, it's in our human nature. It was passed down to us by our great, 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 insert a bunch of greats here, grandparents, Adam and Eve. You may have heard about them. And so, you know, in life you get your hair color, you get your skin color, you get your athletic ability or, or not. You get your physical attributes from your mom and dad. But we all got something from our original grandparents, Adam and Eve, and that is our sin nature. And because of that, here's what happens to every single one of us. God wants us to go this way. He wants us to go this way, and we choose a different path. We go our own way. It's just we share this same issue, but it's a big issue. It's a big problem. And the reason it's a big problem is because the wages of sin is death. Sin kills. It ultimately leads us to eternal death. Okay, that's the price tag. So we have this terminal disease of sin. It's like if you went to the doctor and you had a disease that was going to kill you, your doctor wouldn't say, you know what, I've looked at your case and I think what you really need is a better example. You just need to go find somebody on TV or something that's that's really healthy and act like them. Just go act like them. Do you see the parallel I'm making here? Just act Act like them and, and also do some squats, take an aspirin, call me in two weeks. They wouldn't say anything like that. They would say, 
we got to get after this. We got to get that thing that's in you out of you or it's going to kill you. We got we to get you healthy again. Now, sin, if not dealt with, leads us to spiritual death. And that's why, I'm telling you, that's why any other gospel other than the one true gospel is actually dangerous. It's dangerous because when we misidentify the problem, we misidentify the solution. And if you don't know this sin is the problem, you won't know that you need salvation. Sin is the problem. I'm not just talking about big sins. I'm talking about the disease of sin, whether that disease shows up in big ways, like you become a mass murderer, or shows up in small ways, like you covet your neighbor's landscaping or something, you know. It's still the same disease with the same terminal outcome. And it's something that all of us got to deal with because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own path. We've gone our own direction. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Translation, we're all infected. And we all need our sins taken away. Whether you've sinned a little or a lot, we all need someone to take this terminal disease from us. And that's why the real gospel is such good news. Because the real gospel speaks truth to our biggest problem, to our sins. And it tells us your sins have separated you from God. And when you're separated from God, you're hell bound for eternity. But God loved you so much that he... I'm getting ahead of myself, number three. We have a solution, Jesus. There's our solution. Only Jesus has the power to take away sins, and he did so on the cross. Colossians chapter 2, watch this. We were, we were dead at one time, dead in sins, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. What did he do with it? Nailing it to the cross. <clears throat> and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the, by the cross. <clears throat> so here's the deal. God's enemies, God's enemies thought that the cross was the worst day. Like this has been defeated. We've defeated the Lord. We've defeated Jesus. And it turned out to be the best day for us. They thought it was the end, but it was only the beginning for us. And even the people watching it in real time didn't get it right. I want to go back to, to Luke 23 one more time here. The very next verse, after Jesus spoke those words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Very next thing that happens is this, verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said he saved himself. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's really who he says he is, okay? What they didn't understand was it wasn't the nails holding Jesus to the cross. It was his love for us. Jesus could have gotten off of the cross. He said it back in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, you know, I could have 
called my father, asked my father, and he would have sent legions of angels to rescue me. Jesus could have gotten off of the cross. But listen to me, if he did, then the price would not have been paid for your sins and for mine, which means we would still be subject to punishment. So what did he do? Even though he could have gotten off the cross, he stayed. He stayed there because of his love for us. He endured so that you and I could find forgiveness. We talk a lot about love on this day, on Valentine's Day, but this is the greatest love of all right here. That Jesus would lay down his life for you and for me so that we could be saved. I got a question for you. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? You thankful for Jesus? Amen. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for the love that he had for mankind, for us, that even as he's hung on that cross, that the very first thing on his mind and on his heart was sinners and saving us. Thank you, thank you, God, for your son. And thank you for that first statement, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Okay, so first of all, love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, put a star by your name for coming out in the cold weather. Uh, and I hope that you're blessed this week and um, be safe as well. We're still in pandemic mode, so if uh, you need prayer today or if you want to make a decision for Christ today, here's what you need to do. You need to text the word prayer to 642-123. Uh, there are prayer partners waiting right there to speak with you, to help you, to uh, give you uh, you know, a text back as to what to do next. So take advantage of that. And if you're watching us from outside of the United States, um, go to our website. You can click the prayer, prayer link there and uh, receive prayer as well. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he came to this world on a mission and he completed that mission, Lord. And I thank you that we can stand here today, not perfect people, but people who have been forgiven because of him. Thank you, God, for his sacrifice. And it's in his holy and powerful name that we pray these things today. And all the people said, God bless, guys. Happy uh, Valentine's Day. Have a good one. See you next time. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.